everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week we are doing another epic two-parter with a legendary producer. We are talking to Ed Stasium. Ed, I wondered if American punk rock would be what it was or what it is without the influence of Ed Stasium. First of all, I mean, everyone I think pretty much knows him from the Ramones, right? Legendary producer with the Ramones. But from there, we go on, we talk about people like Peter Wolf, the Hoodoo Gurus, um, Julian Cope, Living Color, of course, Marshall Crenshaw, Jeff Healy. Um, we talk so much. In fact, I, he'll be the first to tell you he's a little bit of a rambler, okay? A lot of tangents, uh, a lot of misdirections, but that's okay because he's great and his tangents are fun. So we talked for almost nearly three hours in two separate occasions and still didn't get anywhere near all the things we wanted to talk about. And he will be the first to tell you he's very humble about his position in the music industry. He views himself as just like a knob twirler. You know, I just twiddle some knobs and move them around. That's really it. The bands come in with their vision and their thing. I just help them out. And that's a really beautiful, humble way to do it. But I think we can all agree that music wouldn't, wouldn't be what it is without Ed Stasium. Okay? So anyway, we're going to do part one today, part two tomorrow. Listen up for that. Uh, hope you enjoy this. He called me from his home in Southern California. Where are you looking? I'm in Denver. Denver, Colorado. You know, I lived yeah. in Durango for 11 years. Yeah, I think I read that somewhere. Why? Why not? <laughs> I, got, I got fed up with Los Angeles. I was living in yeah. Los Angeles at the time. And uh, it was 2003, uh, rap was king. Yeah. Pop was getting, rock was on the way out. And I uh, had a couple experiences that were like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. Um, um, generally, it was uh, one incident in particular when I went to see it. one of the an A and R guy at Columbia asked me to go see a band called Zebrahead. I've heard of them. Yeah, I heard of them too. And it's funny; I just remember that somebody I know knows one of the guys in Zebrahead's wife or something. Uh -huh. I, I forgot about that. I forgot who. I even forgot who it was. Right. But um, so I went to the Roxy to see them. It's like, of course, it's an eleven o'clock show at night. You know. Uh -huh. And go down there and said, uh, you know, and um, I'm, I should be on the list. You're not on the list, man. <laughs> uh, you sure? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Sent me down here to see the band. He wants me to work with them or possibly work with them. And uh -huh. said, nope, not, not here, man. I said, okay, I'll, I'll buy a ticket. Sold out, man. <laughs> I just said, I'm out of here. <laughs> that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And I, uh, <laughs> and uh, I went back to my then wife, Amy, and uh, said, you know, let's get, get out of here. We basically th threw a dart at a map, and uh, she did a search for steam trains. And, uh, you know, I'm a, oh. kind, of, kind of a train aficionado. Sort Are you? Of. Well, okay. not really, but I like trains. Uh huh. Actually, we took quite a few uh, train journeys. <clears throat> Um, to like Flagstaff when we were living in LA, Flagstaff in Portland, a couple times to Flagstaff actually. Anyway, so she found Durango and we actually flew out the next weekend and got a realtor and looked at houses. And the last home we saw, it was on a lake. It was three stories. It was beautiful. It was affordable and put an offer on it and the rest was history. Wow. Kind of what took off. you to move back then to Southern California? Um, my ex-wife, her family, she's from here from San Diego. Okay. And uh, 
her parents who were in need of a family member, they're, el they're, they're elderly. Her, her dad has since passed away, actually. Uh -huh. um, and they needed a family member nearby. So why not? I was, you know, I was there. For, we were there for 11 years. It was, wow. you know, snow. You know how it is. Yeah, I do. It's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. tons of it on the ground right now. I have a good, I have a good friend uh, who's out there in uh, Denver. And I yeah. text, text with her almost every day. And yeah. she, she informs me what's going on in the neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so that's wow. uh, that's my story. And now I'm in Southern California. We split up like eight months after we moved here. And um, maybe if I had known that we were going to split up, it would have been something different. But you know what? It all worked out. It's all fine. I don't regret anything. Okay. So, well, here have I you am. remarried? No. 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 I have no. not. No girlfriend. No nothing. Okay. I'm not even dating. I don't know anybody down here. <laughs> I really don't. And there's no, there's no, I mean, there's some clubs, you know, there's uh -huh. the House of Blues. We have the Cosba. There's some other clubs. And uh, I go and see bands and artists that I know. Belly Up is, there's also a Belly Up down here. The original Belly Up is down here. Same owner has a joint in Aspen. I'll go to the clubs occasionally if I feel like it. Like there's some artists playing. I wanted to go see the surfer Jesser. Did you know about them? The girl I've heard that name from Toronto. Yeah. They're an okay. all gal, an all, all gal band that play like surf music. They're they're fucking awesome. Uh -huh. And and they were opening up for the Reverend Horton Heat, who I know quite well. But uh -huh. it, was, it was the weekend. I was uh, I had gone to Palm Springs to um, possibly think about relocating there. And uh, there's a studio there that I might have a room in. I put a room in. It's a long story, anyway. So I was in. I was tired, and I got got home and went. Ah, I'm not even going. Yeah. I just, just made some spaghetti and stayed home. <laughs> <laughs> you must get bombarded by every young garage rock band in the country. And there's a few. Not. It doesn't happen like every day, but I get I get a lot of requests to listen to material. Can anyone? Okay, so I. I normally save this question for a little bit later after we've built up some rapport, but I'm just going to ask it now. Can they afford you? I work these days, you know, budgets are not what they were. I, that's why I asked. You know, in, in the nine, late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, their budgets aren't like that at all. I work with uh, um, a young, aspiring indie bands. I mean, if, you know, I need to make some dough. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that's going to do this, do that for free. Mm -hmm. Um, although I have mm -hmm. on occasion, but I'm not a talent scout. I'm just a knob twiddler. Mm -hmm. I know what I like. And if I like something and the, uh, for instance, I just did a band called the two tens. Um, they're friends of mine from Los Angeles, Ricky sticks, a, a gal drummer who's great. And Adam bones is the guitar player. It's a duo. Uh -huh. And you know, I, I made them a great deal. We did six songs, and it was you know, good pays the rent. But that's yeah. about it for one month, you know. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I talk to a lot of pro producers on here. There are most like popular episodes often, and so many of them who have had success like you can. There's two things going on. One, they usually live fairly comfortably off of the royalties of that success from back in the day, mm -hmm. and secondly, there's not as you just said, budgets to have them do the same kind of fulfilling work that they're used to. So they do the kinds of things you do. They work with young up and coming bands, yeah. almost sometimes pro bono or whatever. Are you kind of in that same boat? Um, I'm not a pro bono guy, you okay. know, um, unless, unless I really see something that is 
extraordinary. Yeah. Okay. Which I haven't, which I haven't really seen. And, uh, you know, I've been working with established artists as well. And recently, you know, I've, I've started to do a lot of Dolby Atmos mixing. I put Atmos yeah, here. That's kind of the new thing. Yeah. In the mix room. And Rhino's given me a catalog, a lot of catalog work. Nice. And it, it's nice to do that. I mean, last year I did like five projects, five album projects. Okay. You know, I record some stuff here. Um, um, the, the Huda Gurus, you know, I mixed their record. It was I a record them. that came out in March. I love them they, too. I, I, I love, love them. They've been on here twice. Love yeah. Them. Yeah. They're coming. They're coming in the spring. They sure are. I can't I wait. Go, I will go see them. I yep. will definitely, they're playing the belly up, but I will go see them. Um, but I mixed that and we did it. Um, you know, Dave Faulkner is very particular about everything. Mm. I've done three previous records with them. Yeah. I've mixed two and produced one. And, uh, you know, since like the early 90s. Yeah. I've been, you know, we've been friends. Uh, did you produce Kinky? That's my favorite of the ones you did, probably. I did I do what did I do on Kinky? I think I mixed Kinky, yeah. Free Miss Free Love is on that. That, yeah, that, that was I, still I mixed, part of their like golden era. Yeah, it, it was great. It was a great record. Yeah, yeah. I, I mixed that for him, but I always have okay. something to do with you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. it was a it was a mixed project. Um, okay. Crank Crank was the record that I produced with them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's yeah, right. I, it was after the earthquake, I think. Okay. Um, whatever you say, that's like ninety four. Like, it's like a lot of stuff is pre earthquake, post earthquake. It's like pre and post pandemic and stuff. Yeah, all yeah, like sort that. of. Yeah. yeah, it was the Northridge yeah. earthquake in Los yeah. Angeles. I'm talking about when I was living there. Okay. And, uh, then I mixed um, a record for them like ten years ago. Then they disbanded. And they got back together and yeah, we worked for quite a long time during the, the 2021 mixing. Yeah. And Dave and I, uh, I found a great way to mix is using Zoom mm -hmm. and using audio movers and working on headphones and. Nice. They're the same headphones, and he's like I said, he's very particular. So he, would, you know, add give me what, give me that. Come on, I need more frequency. That the, that the one that hurts the ears, that one I don't need. So you crank up you know, to 2.5k. Yeah, and it, it was it was very nice. It wasn't actually. I started mixing, and usually what I do is uh, when we're doing distance mixing, long distance mixing, I'll I'll do a mix, and then we'll come up with comments. So give me a call, or they'll you know text me. Or email me with the comments. But Dave was just getting fed up with that. So uh, he, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And then a friend of mine, um, uh, who was it? I'd forgotten who it was. I think it was John Agnello or Stuart. Uh, they do that uh, 
uh, Gear Club podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've and, heard of it. Uh, Stuart uh, talk, told me about audio movers. And it's it's very good resolution. You know, it's really? uh, yeah, it sounds really good. Uh, it goes up to 192, I think. No, 96. Okay. 96 they use, I think. So I started using audio movers and it worked out okay. great. I sat okay. here with like you and I, and I could share the screen off yeah. of my off of my uh, Mac Pro, which I use for Pro Tools, and to do Zoom here. The only thing I have to always remember to mute the uh, oh sure uh, my microphone because you get a little delay, and, and I use the uh, yes. Sennheiser open back so you can you can hear it, and um, it worked out really well. Let me ask you this: um, as far as mixing goes, like for instance, I had Shelly Yakis on here a couple of years ago, I love famous Shelley. as you know, yes, and sometimes. Um, Mixer, sometimes the artists are in the room while you're mixing, and sometimes you're taking it and you're in some other place and you don't even really ever interact. Are you usually hands-on with your with your clients or no? Well, it's always been that I when I start mixing, whenever, whenever it was, if it was in the 70s, even, mm-hmm. um, so for instance, the Ramones yeah. and Living Color, I would do a mix, start mixing one day. And then I would, um, the band, get it done. I would listen to it at home or on a, in a cassette. It was cassettes in the car. instead sure, of, of course. Instead of CDs or whatever you're going to use as reference. And then listen at home. I had a, actually, I would listen uh, with the Ramones. It was it was reel-to-reels as well. You know, I would bring home reel-to-reel, like quarter-inch, you know, home decks. Mm-hmm. I, I Actually, I, I had a half-track deck at that time as well. So it was, you know, I'd bring... I make the copies of the mix, bring it home, listen to it, and then come back the next day. And like at noon or one o'clock, the band would come in. And that's how it's always worked with me mm. through, through everything. Um, okay. All the Ramones stuff, you know, the band would, I would, but with the Ramones, I was Tommy was with me all the time. Yeah. They yeah. never sit around. Bands have never, I mean, who the fuck would want to sit around and listen to somebody mix? You're working on a kick drum sound. Um, uh, you know, here's a great story. Here's a great story about the call, Rick Ocasek. Okay. So when I was in, I was in, uh, I was working on Peter Wolf's first solo record called yep. Lights Out after he left the Jay Giles band. I have we that on at, my list. We were working on the car studio in the, in the car studio on Boylston street. Was it Boylston? Yeah, I think so. Synchro sound. They, they bought a studio. They worked there and had an MCI console, uh, MCI machine, uh, a one AMS with the, like it had a ridiculous delay time, like 40 seconds. It was like Roy <laughs> Thomas Baker made them buy it because they did some work there on those cars records. And the band had like a little clubhouse in, in the basement. It was like a little room with a TV. They go down there and they'd hang out. They'd have coffee. They'd smoke weed. And it was a little getaway place for the band. That's, I met the whole band would come down and hang out. And, uh, you know, Rick would come down quite often. Um, you know, and, uh, and this was when they were doing Heartbeat City with mm-hmm. Mutt Lion. Yeah. And they had been in England. They came back. And we were working. I started in November. And we worked in, boy, we worked a long time on that record. It was great. You know, that's when we had budgets and food budgets. And, you know, sure. people would drop in, hang out, DJs, artists, you know, the guys from Aerosmith, uh, Carly Simon would pop in, Bob Dylan would pop in. Um, <laughs> it was great. It was a lot of fun. And we had, we had a food budget. Back then, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the most important thing, you know. Of course, it is. Or yeah. to Jim Steinman, it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jim. <laughs> um, so, you know, they had been working with Mutt. I forgot where they recorded Heartbeat City. I think it was it, maybe in England, but they went back to England to mix it. Mm-hmm. And 
Rick popped his head in. He says, hey, I'm going to England. Mutt's going to start mixing the record. I'm going to go over there and hang with him and see how it goes. And so, okay, don't even think about it. We, we keep working. Yeah, we were there from like November, beginning of November till mid-March at the car studio. Then we went to Right Track in New York for a couple months. You know, we probably worked five months on that record. Wow. It was fun. We had a great time. We didn't, there was no like, no 10, 12-hour days. It was like a sure. six, six-hour day. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Real, you know, leisurely. Yeah, Art- artistically very gratifying, mm-hmm. and um, so a couple of weeks go by. Rick pops into the studio, and you know I-, I can read people quite well, and he's like sullen and just hanging out a little bit. And hey, Rick, how the mixing go? He says, "Oh fuck, man, I was there for two weeks, and Mutt was still getting a kick drum sound." <laughs> True story. That's exactly <laughs> the kind of story you imagine coming from Mutt Lang. Yeah. Yeah, yes. he's been like forever doing anything. Yes. Yeah. So that's how I I always worked at, you know, Interesting. mixed by myself and have the band come in the next day and then they would sit in the room with me and then they'd have suggestions. Yeah. And, you know, it's turned into now I do a mix and then, you know, put it up on Dropbox and then they uh-huh. either, uh, uh, so, I mean, most of the time it'll be just suggestions over email. Yeah. But in certain cases, like with Andy and Chernoff of the Dictators, and Dave Faulkner, we do the Zoom and audio movers thing. Okay, it works okay, really well. That's almost like having somebody in the room because I'm all you know. I mean, I it's the best we can do sometimes, especially when we're yeah. far apart. I do, I do miss the camaraderie for I sure. Bet. Yeah, you know, um, you know, when after when I came back to New York after you know leaving New Jersey and going to um, the studio more in Heights for a year, I came back to New York on the urging of many people who I knew there, and. Um, you know, Media Sound, uh, where I did a lot of my work. Uh, there was always, you know, you always go into each other's rooms and hang out. When I in the nineties, when I started working at A and M a lot, you know, all your friends would be there working. You know, Tony mm-hmm. Berg would be in one room, R.I.P. Yeah. Um, and then Clear Mountain would be in another room, and then uh, Bon Jovi would be in a room. You know, Jersey yeah. Bros, and it was just yeah. fun to socialize and have I the bet. camaraderie that you know in, in the studio and I, I really miss that i don't have I that here i'm all yeah. alone i work in my yeah. box <laughs> yeah. not, not today i put sweats on especially good for good for you me too me too <laughs> um okay i have a million questions for you but while we're talking about peter wolf let me ask you about that i feel like well when i think of okay so let me back up one second when i was when i think of Anastasium, i think of the punk rock garage rock alternative rock guitar rock guy i feel like you're the guy for that in getting ready to talk to you you've posted on your website a spotify list of all these it's eddie's big hits and near misses 73 <laughs> to tw- 2021 i can't stop listening to this thing half of it i know and half of it are people i've never heard of before exactly be and so and it's all good yes oh. So I'm going to ask you, I, you someday should come on my podcast or someone's and just talk about the music you made that no one's ever heard of. You it's know? incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It is. So having said all that, that's a pre- preamble too. I've always been kind of surprised that you were the guy or one of the guys on that Peter Wolf album because that album was sound, beginning to sound so 80s. It's starting to sound like drum machines and synthesizers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I hadn't thought of being your specialty.
It wasn't. I mean, that was the first time I actually worked with a drum machine. I wondered about that. Okay. Michael, so why Michael were you Johnson. the guy? Did you two have a relationship? Um, well, I got I got that gig through Dave Jordan, the en- engineer producer. Okay. Dave, I, I knew him from uh, I met him um, through Jerry Harrison from Talking Heads. Sure, he's been on and, here. Uh, you know, Jerry, uh, Dave did the. Uh, he was an engineer at uh, El Dorado Studios in Hollywood, right down the street from the Capitol Building. It was that studio was there forever. They even had tie lines to the chambers at oh Capitol at one time, but they didn't have them when I was working there. Wow. And I did a bunch of stuff there at El Dorado, overdubs and even tracking on some dickies I did there. I tracked it there. Um, and Dave and I, I met Dave through Jerry Harrison. Um, uh, when Jerry Harrison was making Red and the Black, I think mm-hmm. he was working with Dave. Love that album. And um, yeah, it's really cool. Jerry's a great guy. I love Jerry. Yeah. And I met Dave. We got on. I did some when I moved to LA for the first time in '81. He was one of the few people that I knew. Hung out, started work, did, doing some work at the studio. I remember his partner, uh, Gary, somebody. I don't remember Gary's last name. Pete somehow dug the uh, Herbie Hancock Rocket record that Dave mm-hmm. did. Dave worked on Rocket. Um, I think that went to number one. It was one of the first videos on MTV. Blah blah blah. Huge. I remember and, it well. Yeah, and D- Dave couldn't do the project. And we were buddies. I was living in Laurel Canyon in a guest house. And Dave called me and says, hey, Peter, I can't do this Peter Wolf record. How we want to meet with him? Mm-hmm. So I'm there. Fuck yeah. You know, I always loved Jay Giles. Mm-hmm. And what a time to break up a band. You know, you <laughs> just have two monster, monster records. You know, know, Centerfold. and Breeze Frame. Yeah, both. I think you know, top ten for sure. Maybe yeah. number one even. And um, he had a big fight with Seth, the keyboard player. And well, apparently was, Seth didn't like the the songs Peter brought, and so Peter's yeah. like, "Fine, I'll go solo." Yeah, that's what he did. I guess so. Oh. I didn't know that story. They had some some tiff going on. Anyway, so he recommended me. Pete, Pete called me, and he said, "Yeah, f- can you fly out tomorrow? Meet with me." I flew out to Boston. We had got on, we went to a restaurant, had dinner, hung out a little bit. He played me the tunes in his apartment. And I'm there, yeah, you know, I can I can do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, okay, you're you're hired. And I went back to came back to LA the next day, packed my bags and took my then girlfriend uh with me. I asked Pete if we could come, she could come along. Yeah. And we uh we were at the Lennox Hotel from like November until March. No way. <laughs> yeah. no, now, did he say to you like at that dinner, just so you know, I'm going with drum machines a lot on this one. No, but I think there were drum machines on the demos. And that was Michael uh, Johnson. The producer, Michael Johnson, was like a ra- uh, early hip hop guy. That makes sense. That you makes know? sense. The Johnson crew. And that was yeah. all. I mean, we did. There were some drum. Yo, I got... He, Pete wanted to put stuff on. I got Yogi Horton because I knew him from the heads somehow. Mm-hmm. And I got him to play drums, I think, on maybe three or four tracks. Okay. You know, Pete, Pete needed a recommendation. Um, I knew of Yogi, and he was kind of a cool dude. Nice. I don't think he's with us anymore. I think it was the same as Yogi Horton, if I don't. Okay. I think. And uh, he play, he overdubbed on several songs. I know he played on, uh, oh, God, I don't even remember what he played on. I'd have to look at the record. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So, uh, and then it was a success. It was, a, it was, a, yeah. It was kind of, it was the lights out was kind of a big hit. Yeah. Actually, there's another funny story about that. 
Pete had played some uh, some of the stuff for John Landau, Springsteen's <laughs> guy. I had a feeling this is where you were going. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the original title of Lights Out was Dancing in the Dark. Uh-huh. Because, you know, dancing in the dark, do the yeah. radio love. Uh-huh. And then, uh, you know, Springsteen's record's coming out. And Wolf's like, that fucking Landau. <laughs> oh, he stole my title. Well, that was after. Um, actually, we had a, a birthday party. John, uh, Jan Wenner and, and his then wife had a... Uh-huh. You know, Upper East Side shindig for Pete's birthday while we were in at in New York, and okay. I was invited. We went to it, and um, my, my wife had. Were we married yet? Yeah, I guess we were. Francine, ex Francine, okay. um, she saw it at because it was still titled Dancing in the Dark. She found there was a movie called Dancing in the Dark. Yeah, we, she found a great vintage poster, had it framed, and that was his big present. <laughs> and I remember Pete lifting it up and going, "Look at this, Landau! Look at this, Dancing <laughs> in the Dark! I got to change my fucking title." <laughs> oh, no yeah. yeah, so that's how I got on that thing. And, okay, I wondered. Yeah, and then he wanted uh, uh, Bobby, uh, Bobby Clearmountain, to mix it. He was had planning uh-huh. on doing that, and then he took me out to dinner one night and says, "Ed, you're really familiar with this stuff, and do you you do you think you can mix this record?" And I had never worked on an SSL before. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course I can do this. You ride a horse? Yeah, I can ride yeah, a horse. I was just dive? Yeah, I can scuba dive. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can do that stuff. Can, can uh-huh. you toboggan? Fuck yeah, I can toboggan. Whatever you do. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I said, sure. And he says, okay, we're going to go to New York. We have to find a studio to mix it in. So Francine was my production coordinator at the time, and she found Right Track. was, And, you know, it was kind of just up-and-coming studio. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and this is 19 March of 84. Wow. And uh, we got an apartment in Manhattan and, you know, I stayed in New York. She moved back. She, she flew back to uh, LA, packed up my little uh, guest house with a friend of mine and moved all the shit to New York. Crazy. Cause Crazy. While, I was, while I was there, I was running into all my old friends, you know? Oh, I bet. And they're all like, what are you doing in LA? You got to come <laughs> back, come back to New York. Sure. And uh, that's, those are my New York years. Yes. That's great. Getting ready to talk to you again, going over this uh, Spotify playlist that has almost 200 songs on it. I had no idea that prior to the Ramones, you were so, you were more of like an R&B go-to guy. And I want to ask specifically about Skull Snaps. Oh, man. Because It's a New Day is one of the most sampled songs in history.
Yeah, over 500 samples. And the guys never get paid for that stuff. It's they amazing. don't? No. How come Billy Squire gets paid every time he gets sampled? I don't know. I don't know the legalities of it all that I do know because I was I've been in the producer of that George Kerr. Well, he was the producer. I was with the band. I really worked on that. It was that was the first record I ever did. Really, no experience. Just recording my friends before that. That was the first record that I did that was actually released. Um, that I I engineered. Uh I worked on. And I didn't know what the, what in God's name I was doing. I had I just putting a micro. You know, I knew about recording. Yeah, mind you. yeah. You know, I so said here's sixteen track. You know, I didn't know about anything. Uh-huh. I think you know. Uh, and uh, skull snaps. Yeah, that thing's been sampled so many times. Um, when I did the Long Rider record at Dre's, because Dre used it on some song, mm-hmm. I forgot which one it was. But we we chatted about it, and uh, yeah, I said, yeah, you know, I recorded that the drums for that loop. That's and he's there, get out. Yeah, <laughs> in 1973, whenever that was, 72. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's the most sampled. And I'll tell you a little a little tidbit about the skull snaps. That's really Please. interesting. I loved working on that record. Those guys are so cool. No click tracks, you know. They're just like yeah. I made them, probably made the record in like a week. You know, not mixed it, but recorded it. You know, they uh-huh. came. In, Night sessions. I think they had day jobs. They yeah. come at like six, seven o'clock. Work till like you know five in the morning. Um, and you know it was it was a real learning experience. And you know, being me, I would suggest stuff as well, like the breakdown in New Day. I was the guy who, hey, let's take the drums out here. You know, uh-huh. and they're yeah, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Yeah, I think I even played some percussion on that. If I oh my gosh, Cal Bell or Shaker in the breakdown. I'm sure I did actually. Um, anyway, so fast forward to you know 1986 or so. You know, I met Vernon um, again. Dave Jordan had to do with that because you know I got on that Mick Jagger Primitive Cool record. Yes, I have questions about that too. Yeah, well, this will. Everybody and their dog was on that album. Yeah, <laughs> I have some incredible rehearsal tapes with Jeff Beck that. Oh my god! They, they were putting together a. Um, you know, Mick was putting together a band that never happened with Jeff and the band, G.E. Smith, Doug Wimbish, and Simon Phillips. Oh, I have a badass uh, live rendition of um, a Freeway Jam that's out of this world. Oh, and we it, they were at right track, so we, he just wanted to record it. So just set up mics and just went to two track. Yeah. Pretty cool. Anyway, so so I worked on a Jagger record. Vernon played a little on that thing. Um Actually, Jeff Beck and Mick uh, went down to CB's. Somebody hipped them, hipped them to Living Color. They went down mm-hmm. to CB's and saw them, and they then they came up as we were mixing Primitive Cool in Studio A. Jagger and Ron Saint Germain, Ron Saint Germain engineered. Ronnie actually may have even brought brought it up to Jagger to go down to CBGB's. Possibly, I don't know. Vernon would know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't talked to Ronnie in a couple of years. Um, so they were in Studio B doing the demos. They did Which Way to America and Glamour Boys in Studio B with Jagger producing and Ron- Ronnie Engineering. So I met the guys. I was hanging out. I remember I, I was first guy. First got into some samples at that time, and they, they borrowed. I had some great Simon Phillips drum samples. You know, mm-hmm. on a on a on a two. You know, on a half inch tape. Sure. And you put that into the AMS and have to go a little bit at a time, and you know, sample it with a real drum. And you know, I took the sample behind the actual drum. Uh, anyway, so we hung out a little bit. That's just blah, 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 blah. They did the demos. Okay. Don't see him for a while. 
you know, um, I'm, and I'm doing a lot of work at right track at the time that all that mid eighties to nineties stuff. I did, did a lot of work at right track, uh, face to face. Um, what else did I do there? You can't remember. I don't remember. I remember mixing a Freddie Mercury song. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, living on my own. I did a, like a dance mix when the election wow. was popular. I don't even think that, that is that on there. I don't think so. Uh, I have I have the uh, vinyl of that. Oh my god! Uh, I don't know if it ever became anything. It was from his solo record, Mr. Um, Bad Guy. Yeah, yeah. So I'm at Right Track, and you know, Right Track was there on Music Row. It was on 48th Street, mm-hmm. where you know Sam Ash was. We buy guitars, uh, Manny's, and you always run into people uh, on the street. So I walk out of Right Track, and here's Vernon. You know, hey, what's going on, Hugs? Blah blah blah. Hey, we and he's like, we got a record deal, and you know what? Your name came up as a producer, and they're what? Really? Okay, because I, you know, and they were they were talking like Phil Ramone, Tom Worman. Uh, I just remember those two. I don't know about Phil being the right guy. Tom was just oh, no, on but, here. Tom would yeah, be great. Yeah, yeah. He has a bed and breakfast now, doesn't he? Or he does. Yeah, yeah. He just he sold does. it though. Now he's completely retired. Well, right, good for him. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do if I was retired. I don't know what I would do. I don't play golf. You, would, <laughs> you wouldn't open a bed and breakfast? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, so. Some other people, I think Gary Katz, the guy who did Steely Dan, was up for it maybe. And so Vernon's like, but your name came up. And, and they were, wow, that's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was on a Tuesday. I remember it was a Tuesday. And we made it um, – Plan to. I was living on 78th Street between Amsterdam and Columbus, and we made a plan. And Vernon's a pescatarian, so come on by. I had we had like a four by four balcony in the back of my second floor apartment. It was a floor mm-hmm. through, and I had a little hibachi back there. And, you know, <laughs> well, come on by. I'll grill up some fish for you. And so uh, he came. He he. It was a Thursday. He came by, and that day, I, uh, that's when CDs were first coming out, kind of, 86, 80, whatever, 85, 86. 
I mean, they're 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 re-releasing everything. I would go sure. to Tower Records, open a store like on 62nd Street, mm-hmm. down the street from me. And I would walk down there, you know, a couple times a week and mm-hmm. pick up whatever CDs came out. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I got interviewed by the Daily News because I was waiting in line to get the Beatles CDs when they first came out. Really, I remember this. Yeah, <laughs> I still have those long boxes somewhere. I kept them. I really, yeah. yeah, somewhere. Um, so. While I'm leaving, I leave Tower Records. I walk down Amsterdam. And there's a little park there, and there's this, you know, lonely-looking guy, sad-looking guy, selling his stuff on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. clothes, transistor radio, or something, and a bunch of records. Oh, you know, fairly old black dude. Um, he's probably younger than I am right now, honestly. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, kind of. Just sitting there selling the stuff, asking, you know, I'm, I'm looking through the records. How much you want for the records? Oh, a dollar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Look through them. And here's the fucking Skull Snaps record that I never oh. had. I never had the album. Right? Uh-huh. Okay. So, oh, my God. And it had this, the hype sticker on it with, you know, featuring I'm your pimp. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had never seen it before. I'm, oh, my God. This is how cool is this? Yeah. So I, I, gave him, I gave him like 20 bucks and said, I got it, you know. I told him what the story was, and he was like, "Oh, whatever." Uh, <laughs> like, this is very exciting for me, buddy. You know. Yeah. And so I bring it home, and I had like uh, in the living room. You walk in, there's a fireplace, and I had like a, my wall of records and my stereo in the living room. And um, I just put. The, I always had a stack of records that I was playing at the time, you know. And I put it in the stack. So Vernon comes over. And we started chatting. We're sitting in the living room. I remember we were standing and, you know, and we were talking about something. We were talking about, I think we were talking about World Shut Your Mouth, the uh, mm. thing I Julian did. Cope, another one Julian you did. Because he really liked that record. Mm-hmm. I really like that record, too. It's a cool record. Me, too. Thanks. And uh, we were talking about that. And I said, Oh, you're not going to believe this, but I just found on the, I told him the story about the guy mm-hmm. selling the stuff. And I just, I just found this record. I picked up the record and he went, and Vernon goes, The Skull Snaps. I learned how to play guitar listening to this record. <laughs> it's like, What the fuck? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, really? And he just like he started hugging me. And yeah, I can't, really? I can't, yeah. He, yeah, it was like, it was crazy. It was kismet. It was like, uh-huh. what, a, what kind of coincidence is that? It oh was my. like, you know, a match made in heaven. It yeah. Weren't the skull insane. snaps wasn't part of their thing to remain anonymous? I don't know. No. Oh, that's what I read. I I didn't really know who they were until getting ready to talk to you, except for yeah. having heard that song a million times. Yeah. And I guess that was part of their deal. Speaking yeah. of living color. So 
when the second when time's up comes around which i actually like better i think um how were they different because they had gone from being nobodies and thanks to you one of the biggest bands in the world and well, now they have to know, capitalize it wasn't, on it wasn't thanks to me you know i i, I helped partly and i never take credit for anything really okay. i just turn the knobs and make suggestions yeah, yeah. that's what i do and yeah. you know i just i turn you know i'm not technical i don't know what's inside consoles or mm-hmm. preamps or compressors i just know the turn that it sounds that way so yeah that's what i do i don't know okay. theory i don't know you know wiring well i can wire a patch bay in and out but you know as far as repairing gear yeah or knowing technical stuff i know nothing okay so my my claim to fame is basically turning knobs and making it sound the way i think it's that it sounds cool yeah okay i'm I'm a simple man Mm -hmm. okay so you know they had those great songs and they were a fantastic band live band you know i gave them a bit of guidance we rehearsed for a couple weeks at a place in uh, Brooklyn somewhere for times up you're saying oh not for times up for oh for uh vivid and actually we rehearsed for times up in New Jersey at a place called Ewe hmm. which i think is still there i don't think it's called Ewe anymore uh it's called it's but there's some recording studios and it's a complex in like Jersey Weehawken i think yeah um wow. but they had you know they had all that tons of success and they yeah. had a bunch of songs that some of the songs we, um, you know, were even written during the time of Vivid. And we were just all all happy as, yeah. you know. Were, were they different as people? Were they different? No, not not yeah. at all. They're no? still not different as people, you know. Yeah. I, I yeah. just talked to Vernon last week. We were just, wow. just an old pal. They're, they, yeah. No, they didn't. No, they're all cool. No vibe at all. No, so let me ask you this. Um, what happened with Muzz then? Where did why did I Muzz really, leave? I really don't know. Muzz just didn't want to be in a band anymore. He uh, you know, and I talked to Muzz a couple months ago. You know, he's he calls me once in a while. I'm in the car, I'm waiting to pick my really? daughters up, waiting to pick my daughters up from uh school, and I uh-huh. thought I'd give you a call. He's a sweetheart. I don't see it's it's Doesn't weird because usually you would think he would leave to go do something else or start a solo. I never, we've never seen him again. Nope. Nope. And I hadn't talked to him for a long, long time, years and years and years. And then I think one of, one of the anniversaries came up a couple of years ago and, you know, ended up wow. chatting a little bit. Wild. He's kind of off the grid. So let me ask you, okay. I think, I don't know if it's my favorite song on Time's Up, but the one that always gets me because it's so different for them is Solace of You. Go inside, back where it started. 
Do you remember that, anything that, about the creation of that song? Um, you know, we wanted to get a Caribbean kind of feel. Yeah, because it's so minimal. Yes. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, that, that song just came up recently. A friend of mine's a DJ up in L.A. on a Malibu station. and um, She had never heard the, the second record. And, and she was doing something. And I said, well, you should li listen to Time's Up and check out Solace of You. Mm -hmm. Because it's very emotional. When Corey did that vocal, he did it in one take. And when oh. he came to the control room, he was in tears. Really? He just put everything, his soul into that performance. Yeah. It was amazing. It was yeah. great. We all started crying. It was great. One it take. Great. One take. It was uh, fantastic. So why weren't you around for Stain, the third well, album? I, they, I think Ronnie kind of helped out in the beginning um, with you know the demos with Mick. And they were friends. And they uh, Vernon called me and says, you know, we owe Ronnie, you know, we should really get him on to do this project. Okay. And uh, that's how it went. I, I cool. believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, let me ask you about uh, Marshall Crenshaw. I'm a huge Marshall fan. He's I been on here Marshall. a couple of times too. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, I had this thought right before we hopped on where I was thinking it's, it's never, it's always been interesting to me that Marshall would have, Ed Stasium produced one of his albums because prior to that, he's this kind of power pop guy with like two and three minutes long songs. Mm -hmm. And then life's too short. I was, is it life's too short or life's yeah. too good? No, life's, life's too short. Life's too short comes on and the songs are bigger and fuller and rockier. And then I remember, well, he did have Steve Lillywhite produce yeah. one of his albums. That's so right. he's a, he's a bigger risk taker than I think we realize. <laughs> you know what I mean? What was it like working with Marshall? He's got the long hair at that point. Did he have long hair? The on the cover, he had long hair. Well, for him, I just gave my a friend a copy of that record yesterday. I, I love that album. Yes, thank you. That's yes. Um, Don't disappear now is my kind of my favorite. I love that that song. Yes. Yes. That's when I met Kenny Aronoff as well. What a great! Oh, yeah, that was my first encounter with Kenny, and we recorded that at A and M Studios. Um, we got on. You know, Marshall's a great guy. When we were, I actually met him when he right around his first record. I was up at Warner Brothers, and uh, uh, Karen, Karen, she was an A and she passed away. She was a, she signed him. 
I can't remember her last name. Okay. But she she was there and she said, Oh, I want you to meet Marshall Crenshaw. You know, you gotta come meet Marshall. And uh I always dug his stuff. Yes. I think the connection was my attorney at the time was somebody else in his firm was representing Marshall and somehow they got talking and he's I think he said, Well, you should get Ed Stasium to work on that. And we met and hell, you know, we we got on. I'm easy guy. I'm easy sure. guy to get along. I can tell. <laughs> so is he. I can, so were there conversations going in like Ed? I'm not doing the three minute power pop songs this time. No, not at all. We just did. Our, we just go in and work. Really? I mean, I don't think there's any like free thinking involved with any of the records I've ever done. Wow. I mean, we, we, re we rehearsed. Yeah. We rehearse, but you know, we never went into an album with a concept. Maybe with Times Up, we went in with a kind of a concept. Okay. It turned out to be what we were all calling the Black Sergeant Pepper. You know, we and we wanted right. it to, you know, you know how it interweaves on the CD. Every yes, there's no space at all. No, tacking partners and ology yeah, and all, all these interstitials. They wanted, they wanted to do all these cool little things, which I mm -hmm. I love doing all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really cool. And you know, Muzzy's little solo thing, and uh -huh. you know that um, the, the Africa. Yes. Thing. Um, with James Earl Jones, we yeah the Black History lesson yeah, Black History, or something like that. History lesson, it was called History yeah. lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay. Interesting. But you um, know, with Marshall, we just went in, he had the songs, we rehearsed the songs, and let's record. Let's go. Let's do it. That's you know, gung ho. That's my yeah, that's it. So, there's no okay. no prerequisite for anything. It's always flying on, you know, on, yeah. Flying with a see your pants always. Okay. I have one more kind of one off before I get to some of the bigger ones. The <laughs> Jeff Healy bands Hell to Pay. Hell to I, Pay. <laughs> Hell to Pay. Hell I to love pay. that album. Oh, thanks. Uh, I, I, of course, Jeff is long gone. Yeah. I tried to get some of the other band members, the other two guys on here, but I guess they hate each other. Well, Tom Stevens is a piece of work. No offense, Tom. Really? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Shoot. Yeah. yeah there's, there's that, some, maybe that's why there's a bunch of bad blood there. I don't, and I could see why, but I'm not privy to what really happened. Yeah. I don't really know. But okay. He, you know, he was in a management position and apparently, you know, did a little finagling Shoot. over the years. And uh, well, um, so instead, Jeff's widow and yes. manager Roger, I believe is. His yeah, name. I know, I know, I know Roger. Yes. We chat occasionally. Yeah. Okay, they both came on, and so we did a oh. kind of a tribute to Jeff episode, uh -huh, even though nice. Jeff's not here. So, yeah. what brought you? Why were you? I mean, I again, I love Hell to Pay. Why <laughs> do you? Why were you the guy for that album? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. I don't know why I'm the guy for any album. Okay. Now, I know why I was the guy for the Ramones records, sure. but uh, anything else, you know, there's always, this, uh, there was, uh, what was that? I don't even know. I don't know. I don't uh, know how that came up. I think somebody, okay. maybe somebody at the record company, I guess the A&R guy, Mitchell Cohen. Mm. I think Mitchell Cohen liked what I did with uh, some records that I did, I suppose. I mean, okay. that's usually the reason that people will hire me because they sure. like what I've done. Yeah, that's true. Like, you know, they like what I've done. So Mitchell Cohen um, was the A&R guy for Arista at the time. And I th I, th I think he pro he was the one that probably suggested me. Mm. I just had Mitchell on here. He wrote oh. a book about his years at Arista. And yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I had him on here to talk about it. Nice. Um, that's so interesting. So, okay, I have another super nerdy, maybe you have no answer to this kind of question. Uh, the first single, if I remember correctly, was I Think I Love You Too Much. Um, uh, yeah, Mark Knopfler. Mark Knopfler. Yes. 
and play and also he plays some guitar on it yeah that's one of my favorite songs ever and during the solo that happens you can hear jeff audibly yell yeah in the background at one point And it's almost like in the he's so in the moment that he feel he just lets it go. And I love that that little yeah in the background is left in the final mix. Do you he have any idea that, what I'm talking about? He probably did it in the in the I always keep stuff in like that. Even going through uh, the replacement stuff over the past month or so. Uh-huh. Um I would always, you know, Paul Westerberg there would be stuff that, you know, he did like hey. Uh-huh. Or, oh, some moans and groans and hums. Uh-huh. And that wasn't on the original mix. And I, I love putting that stuff, but it sounds real. Yes. You know? um, yeah. Matter of fact, this is to this two tens record that I did recently that mm-hmm. I just finished mixing. Um, Ricky has a, the greatest laugh, the drummer. She has the greatest laugh. And there was, we were, we were clowning around. It was a lot of fun to make. And we did it very quickly. And uh, I kept a lot of her comments like, you know, um, and Adam, uh, the singer, uh, guitar player, so singer songwriter, um, would always comment. There's one part where she's like, "Can I punch in that little part?" And he said, "No, no punching in." You know, it's this little funny. It's not in the content of the music, but it's uh-huh. after the after the take. So <clears throat> I love keeping stuff like that in there. Cool. You know, like in the, on the Ramones, uh, uh, on Danger Zone, on uh, um, Too Tough to Die, on the song Danger Zone. Uh, we're all in the studio cutting tracks. You know, Johnny was always like, oh, yeah, do this guy. Come on. No, no. Uh-huh. And OK. And you hear Johnny and I kept it in. Johnny's were there in the studio. Tape's running. And um, Johnny goes, OK, ready? And Dee's like, what song are we doing? <laughs> and Johnny goes, danger zone. Well, OK, one, two, three, four. Bam. <laughs> I left that on there.
also, speaking of Dee Dee, um, when we did Sheena is a punk rocker, I don't know if you're uh-huh. familiar with the beginning of that song, but you hear like a foe. Or you can't tell. Some people don't know what it is. It's Didi. He started. He started counting, and the tape wasn't rolling. And I reached over to the tape machine at Sundragon and pressed record and play. And all, it was going one, two, three, four. And all I got was a four. And then the song started. <laughs> I've yeah. always wondered. No way. No way. Yeah, man. Okay, so let's talk about the Ramones then. My understanding: when you come in and produce the Road to Ruin album, uh, the intention at that point is. For you and Tommy to make them more commercially viable. This is true. Okay. So you kind of, I don't know what, there's just something a little more muscly, maybe a little sleeker, a little more, slightly more polished, but not too polished about that album. Well, there's a couple of songs that are totally like, the Ramones are doing this, like, don't come close. It's almost a country western song. know and you know tommy urged on the urging of tommy we tried to make it more commercial i mean that was his you know and tommy was there tommy was there for every one of those ramones records with me mm-hmm. you know I, I never even when tony bon jovi produced those you know uh, leave home and rocket to russia he was never there it was tommy and i that made those records really yeah true story and then we just started you know i started playing a little bit of guitar on leave home little bits and pieces Right and, and backing vocals, I did as well. But by the time we got to Road to Ruin, um, we were like, "Okay, Ed, can you play a solo here? Can you play something here? Can you play acoustic guitar here? Uh, stuff that Johnny could probably do, but he didn't want to. Johnny just would like do the backing tracks, and then he would ask Tommy and I, "Can let's we could this could use something here? Hmm. Now, what can we do here? Can let's beef it up somehow? Let's add some other guitars." Let's add percussion. Let's add some backing vocals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on songs like Needles and Pins, Questioningly, and Don't Come Close, you know, I played all the guitars and bass on those records. Really? It's a true story. Uh, I mean, there's a little bit of Johnny in there, but not yeah. on Don't Come Close. I don't think he's on Don't Come Close or Needles and Pins either. Huh. Maybe he's on a little, there's a little bit of Johnny's guitar on Needles and Pins. But I just did, we just did tons of overdubs. And uh, it was fun. It was a real, it was my college, really. It was, you know, yeah. my schooling. That was my graduation. That was my thesis doing Road to Ruin. We spent a quite a considerable amount of time on it, uh-huh. worked at night. And, uh, you know, Tommy and I were there. Tommy was there every minute with me. 
And then we would do something. We would do guitar parts, and then Johnny would come in the next day and go, "Oh, that's great, that's cool." Or he would mix mm-hmm. it. He's going, well, "I don't like that." Yeah, you know. There's My, a- here's something that I've always been curious about. I I know that the impre- impression now, especially in the last twenty years or so or whatever, is that the Ramones deserved better, and they did. But they I have- don't see them as being a band that ever would have made a lot of sense on mainstream pop radio. Right, you be, not, and, and not, if that was not, the int- not then. No, now you, now you hear. Now you do. Time. Yes. Yeah. So I, I've always just thought it was funny that like everyone's so disappointed that they're not selling platinum records, and I'm thinking I don't hear music that was made to sell platinum records. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But well, it's yeah. great. It's the best punk there is, but it's not yeah. platinum to me. No. Well, two years ago, you can see it up on there on the wall. That's uh. Yep. I want to be sedated. Platinum. Yes. It was like 43 years after the fact. Uh, it took a while. Now everyone appreciates it and go back. <clears throat> and, In uh, real you know, time, the, I don't The first know album how. went gold. Bliss Creek Bop went gold. Yeah. And it's because of streaming and downloading as well, because yeah. they count that stuff now. Yeah. But I was actually shocked when, you know, uh, Suzanne, my pal over at Rhino, uh, Suzanne Savage, called me and says, did you know that uh, I Want to Be Sedated went platinum? <laughs> and they're wild. What? Crazy, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they just... And they just kept up. They did what they did. They did it great. They were the best. Yeah, and really as Legs are. McNeil said in that Ramones documentary, they were they were the Johnny Appleseeds of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. They would go play a town, and there'd be fifteen bands the next day. And that was with me as well. When I for you know I didn't I was living in Canada, um, you know for that year seventy five to seventy six because I never wow. I never went to CBS in that time. I was up in I was in Montreal at the Studio More in Heights. And, um, you know, working with French-Canadian artists, I was privileged to work with the Bee Gees on the Saturday yeah. Night stuff up there as well. You did? I didn't know that. Well, it's not, I didn't, I was there hanging, I was basically hanging out. Okay. I was rolling joints with Barry Gibb <laughs> and, and trading, uh, and trading existential stories. Uh-huh. Uh, metaphysical, he was really into metaphysics as I was. Wow. I would trade books, I remember trading, he gave me the Seth Papers, the book about the kid who was, uh, um, you know, the new... Cahil Gabron or something, and uh-huh. uh, I gave him um, "Interrupted Journey," the, uh, the the first uh, the first book about uh, UFO uh, abduction by oh. Betty and Barney Hill in New Hampshire in the early sixties. So we were oh, just hanging gosh. out, and he was he got him his pot. We would just sit there. Yeah. And I did a couple assisting things, but you know, okay. and Nick Lagona also worked there. I think Nick got some credit, but I was just like, "This is fucking Bee Gees. I'm hanging out. This is great." Yeah. Yeah, and watching the way they did vocals and uh, the backing vocals, they would all sing the same part and then double track it, then bounce that to one track and then do the <sighs> harmony. All three of them, it was it was it was great, and it was a fantastic time. Yeah, but where do we where did I go from that? Okay, Where's, so oh. so I'm in I'm working at the studio Morton Heights. Um, I come back to do. There was a you know, Geraldo Rivera. He's still a reporter. I think he's on Fox News now mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was working for ABC television at the time in New York City in the mid-70s, early 70s, mid-70s, 74, 73, something Mm -hmm. like that, 74, 75. And um, he did an expose on a home for disabled children, Mm. mentally disabled, et cetera, in somewhere in Long Island. It was called Willowbrook. And he heard about this place. He went in there. And there was like two people on staff with a hundred kids, and there was like oh. they were like shitting in their beds, and you know, yeah, 
wallowing in piss and, you know, not being fed. And it was a big to do. And he did a telethon called a one-to-one telethon. They even had a concert with John Lennon played at, which I did not attend. It sounds very familiar. Yeah. yeah it was called a one-to-one Geraldo Rivera. And they, he did some telethons in New York and uh, the drummer, the session, New York session drummer, Alan Schwartzberg became a friend of mine when I was working at Venture Sound and Camelos. He was one of those guys that always loved the snare drum sound on Midnight Train at Georgia for some reason. <laughs> Say that's the best snare drum sound I ever heard. Okay, whatever. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing because so it just <laughs> whatever. Anyway, so Alan called me. He had my we were friends. He called me in Canada and says, "Hey, can you come down and be the audio consultant?" Okay, and this was in '75, I believe. Can you be the audio consultant? Because there's a union guy there. I mean, the union guy was an old, an old dude, you know, balding. And you're smoking a cigar, you know, tell him, can you bring the snare up a little bit? <laughs> he hated having me there, but it was, you know, it was a lot of people. The, the, the house band was like Will Lee on bass, Alan on drums, mm-hmm. Brecker Brothers on horns, you know, all these cool, really cool cats that I had met while sure. working at Camelo's. And uh, who, do, who, who do I run into? You know, Tony Bon Jovi and Tony Camello in my first studio, Venture Sound, they were partners. And then Tony disappeared and I fell into the engineer's seat. I hadn't seen Tony Bon Jovi. There's, I have some good stories about Bon Jovi. I could I talk for hours. We should have. I can story. tell. We should do this again. Yes. Yeah, we could do it again. Um, okay. So, who do I bump into that I hadn't seen since like 1973? This is 75. Tony Bon Jovi. Uh, I came down from Canada. Eddie, what are you doing? <laughs> hey, me and Bob Walters, we're going to build a new recording studio. You want to come down and be our engineer? <laughs> We'll pay you. So I just briefly talked to them. And uh-huh. I was at that time in Warren Heights, Andre Perry and myself were having Andre Perry's a fellow who recorded Give Peace a Chance in the month. Oh, Texas, sure, sure. Yes. Uh, and he had a, he was the crazy, you know, in, in, engineer of Montreal's Infantenaba. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was a, a major influence up there. And he had this, this studio Warren Heights place. And I loved working up there. They had a Trident A series. They had the first Trident A series in mm-hmm. North America, which I loved. I loved anything that was coming out of Trident uh, at the time. And um, it was like August. Or... Yeah, I think it was August or so. And um, my girlfriend was pregnant with my daughter, who now lives. My daughter lives with me, mm-hmm. and she's uh, my daughter's heart, uh, hearing impaired. She's deaf. Okay. So- Doing this telethon for Geraldo Rivera, the audio uh-huh. consultant, with the guy who didn't listen to a fucking thing I said. Mm-hmm. And um, Tony Bon Jovi's there, and he tells me, you know, him and Bob Walters. Bob Tony was on staff at Media Sound. And Bob Walters was the manager of Media Sound. They got this brainstorm to come up with a new studio. And the studio ultimately became Power Station. That was, I was the first. Got it. I was the first person on staff being paid at Power Station oh, wow. before there was even a building. And Tommy Ramone had contacted Tony. They worked with. They didn't want to work with Craig Leon, who did the first record. Uh, they didn't want to work with him again. And Tommy told me that you know, well, we didn't know any producers. And I, I had worked. Tony was also Tony Bunch also worked at Record Plant. Tommy Ramone also worked at Record Plant briefly as an assistant. And so they got Tony. Tommy Ramone got a hold of. Tony and asked him to co-produce the record with him, the the second record, Leave Home. And uh, and Tony, when I as soon as I got back, September of 76, I started doing a few projects for Tony. 
We were looking for the build, looking for a building. Bob Walters and I, Tony would be working at Media Sound. And he also had like all these connections in Washington D.C. with some. He had a record company, mm-hmm. DCA Records, I remember. And um, one of the first projects I did, starting in November of '76, was Ramones' "Leave Home." And of course, Tony said to me, "Hey, Eddie, you want to produce it? You want to co-produce <laughs> this with me?" You know, I, you know, and I got, you know, I, what did I, know? I was a kid. I didn't know what the heck, you know, I didn't know produce what. A, you know, contracts and credit. Uh, you know, I just, I was having the time of my life rec- just recording stuff. And, if, you know, of course, open would open my mouth about stuff. And, um, you know, it turned out that Tony wasn't there a lot. And Tommy and I basically did the record. Wow. And, uh, but that's how I got involved with the Ramones was through Tony Bon Jovi. And I, I owe him my career, basically. No you know, kidding. Yeah. About that. That's for sure. I owe what him was it like career. working with Johnny? Johnny was great. We got a lot really? with everybody all the time yeah johnny was just okay let's do it john uh, on that first record you know we doubled they didn't they just had the the band on the first record you know guitar left bass right drums sure. in the middle. sometimes joey would be double tracked on both sides very unusual stuff but um i was into doubling stuff i guess i was listening to some who records and mm-hmm. i was into doubling guitars i loved the way that sounded sure and so i we fin- we finished the tracking we started to do some vocals and, um, you know, I, I said, why don't we, we should double track Johnny's guitar and Johnny just, we went through those songs. It had to be, um, you know, we double tracked those songs in the time it would take a subway to get from Queens to Manhattan. I swear to God, we just one after the other, bam, 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 you know, it was done. <laughs> and, you know, the first mix was kind of odd. I must say, you know, it was spread out really wide and we did a new remix for the, uh, box set which i'm far more pleased with myself it was a lot lot of fun to do that but um yeah anyway i I think i went off the original question you're talking about johnny and what it was like he was easy to work with he was great you know he had we had mutual respect for each other and what i loved about the ramones was you know oh i had never heard about the ramones i didn't know anything about the ramones i was living in canada Mm -hmm. you know listening to shome fm to fleetwood mac peter frampton pig floyd yeah and i come back and Tony's like, yeah, come on, Susan Ramone's record. He said, and he the first thing he, I remember him saying, they're like a locomotive running you over. And I go, okay. And I Bobby Clear Mountain started the session because I was doing something. I think I don't remember what it was. I might I may have been doing another session up in Canada, I think, for that Tony got onto me with the uh, Tony Sylvester. It was a band okay. from band from uh, it was a like a salsa band. Rock oh. salsa band called Kalyan. Cool. You know, I don't even know if that's on my resume anywhere or anywhere. I don't know. I, but it was it was a cool thing. I think they're from okay. Trinidad. They're from Trinidad, I think. Ooh. Yeah. And I was getting paid a lot. I was getting paid a hundred bucks a day to do that. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's what I was doing. And so I came down. I couldn't get down for the first day because we we're finishing up that record. And Bobby Clear Mountain set up the session and actually recorded a couple tracks. And I had forgotten about that until I got the track sheets doing these box sets. And here's Bobby's handwriting and his name there. And I called him and I said, Bobby, you, and he says, I don't remember. I don't remember doing that. I said, your uh-huh. name's on here. <laughs> you know, I showed him the track. I just said, I, you know, made a scan of the track sheet and he emailed it to him. He didn't remember. Anyway, so he started it. So, um, so I go, come in the day I'm coming in. It was the second day of recording. And I just remember you know, Bobby was there. This is that. This is that. And we he put on the tape to listen to it. And somebody had turned the monitor way like on 110. Uh-huh. Was, Wah! Uh-huh. Bam! What do you think for? Bam! It was crazy. 
That's the first time I heard the Ramones in the control room of Sundragon Studios. Really? Yeah. And um, then we knocked off the tracks in like three days, two days. Yeah, of course. Really it fast. Worked fast. And then Johnny double tracks his guitars. And then, you know, Tommy says, you play guitar, don't you? And then I started doing a couple little, like Susie yeah. is a headbanger. I remember doing a couple little things like that. And then, you know, can you sing? Sure. <laughs> I can do that. I can't sing anymore because I have uh, vocal cord issues. Oh, okay. I have uh, something going on with my vocal cords. Shoot. I've had five surgeries. Oh man, not repaired. I'm a little. Shoot. This is my. This is my post. Okay, uh, I've never. I didn't know your speaking voice before. Well, so yeah, you didn't known. know before, so you wouldn't no. notice. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Were they at each... I mean, you were with them for a long time. Were they... I made those stories back. about them fighting and hating each other and... Never saw a thing. Never, really. It was always calm. When they came into the studio, it was to work. There okay. was no fucking around. Okay. I still ran. think... I still think Edge of the Century, their documentary, is probably the best rock doc ever made it's really cool right yeah it really is yeah. um now one other thing i didn't think that you were involved i assumed i should say that you weren't involved in end of the century the oh. phil specter record but it's credits. on your playlist so you must have been do you, uh, have, an, do you have a phil specter story i'm credited as musical director are you really okay yeah, yeah i'm credited tell me a phil specter story um well there's there's many um, <laughs> But let's 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 just talk about how I became involved. Okay. Okay. So Seymour Stein, uh -huh. Sire Records, Seymour Stein. I was living in East Millstone, New Jersey, with my with my then girlfriend Sarah's mom, who's since uh -huh. passed away tragically, okay. and Susan. Love that woman. I wish she was still around. Hmm. My true love. Yeah. It's sad. Um, she passed away in 2013. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, and Sarah's just met, still messed up about it. Shoot. Yeah. Um, anyway, enough of that. Um, so I get a call from Seymour. And he's there. Ed. <laughs> Phil Spector is going to produce the next Ramones record. And I just talked to Johnny. He said, he won't go unless you're there. Because at this point, I had worked on Leave Home, Rocket to Russia, Road to Ruin, mm -hmm. and It's Alive. And I became, not to tap myself on the shoulder, but I became, you know, a vital part of the Ramones. Absolutely. The Ramones, you know, you, and you are the fifth Ramone or whatever. So to speak. I mean, there's a couple yeah. fifth, you know, Monty Melnick is a good fifth Ramone as well, yeah. their tour manager. And Arturo Vega there, the late, great Arturo, who, mm -hmm. you know, was their lighting director. And Daniel Ray did a lot on the later albums as well, mm -hmm. Daniel did. Um, and so it's like, Johnny, Johnny, make sure you're home in a half hour because Johnny's going to call you and talk to you about this. Johnny at the time would... He didn't have a he didn't have a phone in his house. That's why Johnny had so much money near the end because okay. he just you know a miser. He saved uh -huh. all his money. His purpose was to uh, you know save up like a million bucks and then retire. Uh -huh. You know, um, so Johnny had one of these little boxes that had tones in it that you would put up to a payphone and you would get free calls. Uh -huh. 
I forgot what these were. There was a little box. You used to buy them for like twenty dollars. Uh-huh. I never had one, but I, I I did know about them and I did see see them. But Johnny had one. He would go to the payphone, go beep, some kind of tone thing, and it would you just get a line. Uh huh. Just get a line. I've seen that in movies. I didn't know that was real. It's real. Johnny had one, and he made all his calls with that. And he, you know, he had to be you know he had to be at home because he always knew. Me, he may, would make appointments for phone calls. Uh huh. Call you, and Johnny calls me up and he says, "You know, what do you think about Phil Spector doing this record with us? I don't know. I don't know. He has such a crazy reputation. I'm there. What are you fucking kidding me, Phil Spector, <laughs> my hero? You know, um, all the great records. Be my baby. Uh, you know, you've lost that love and feeling. I mean, just go on and on. The, the the you know, I'm not crazy about what he did with Let It Be, but you know, he still worked yeah. on Let It Be. He did All Things Must Pass, which I think is a fantastic record, and all the Same. John Lennon stuff. Yeah. You know, all the John Lennon, early John Lennon solo records. Uh, you know, um, you know, from Instant Karma to Imagine. I mean, he just did great stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, even then, I, everybody knew about his reputation for being a little unwieldy mm-hmm. um, is that a word <laughs> unwieldy. it is okay, it's a good, good. one uh, <laughs> um, and i said yeah I mean, he says well we want you to come you know come with us you you can you know you'll come with us you know see will take care of everything mm-hmm. and uh you know we want you there bring your and bring your guitar i had a i, I had a 63 stratocaster that i used all the time really? which is now in a museum in phoenix the musical instrument museum no it, was, it was torn to shit. I beat the fuck out of the thing and had it refret it and all the different <laughs> hardware. And let me tell you about my 63 guitar, 63 Strat. E, real quick, though. This, yes. Uh, I'll uh, make a synopsis. Okay. So I got it. I worked all summer at a grocery store, saved up some money. My parents matched it for my birthday in 1965. Was it 64? No, 65, September 65. And went to Rondo Music. I wanted a Sunburst, but the only Strat they had left was a Seafoam Green, which they only made like 10 of in that year in 63. Very rare guitar. Okay. So fine. I'm playing it all through high school, getting a couple bands after high school. But when I see Magical Mystery Tour and I see Rocky, George Harrison's guitar is, uh, what color was that? Sonic Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, originally Sonic Blue. And that was like a 63 or 64 as well. And uh, he, with old painting on it, you know, with all the stuff. Um, I said, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got the day glow paints out and I started painting, you know, psychedelic designs and got my mom's fingernail polish, which I knew it was unusually because I didn't know that George actually used some of Patty's fingernail polish on Rocky. Really? I, I just found that out recently, like within the last two or three years that he also did that. And so, you know, it was all painted up. It was great. And then I wanted it, you know, when started getting into James Taylor, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, mm-hmm. Neil Young, and you know, down home kind of, you know, you know, farming country, whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I thought, I don't want this. I mean, I even brought a black light to gigs with me because it was day glow paint. So I put the black light in front of me and the lights would be dim and my guitar would be glowing. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, man. That's yeah, awesome. So, yeah. So uh, I asked my dad, who was a master carpenter, um, I asked him, can you strip this? And he, he took all the paint off for me. But in the in while he was doing it, he wasn't really a, a guitar person. He didn't really know. He was was not a luthier. And uh, he broke two of the pickups. And, you know, oh. and then over did the, he strip off the original green, too? Yes, he did. And he asked, oh, me, he asked me if I wanted to keep it. 
Um, I said, nah, I go down the wood. But oh. over, the, over the years, I got all, you know, I kept all the original plastics, fortunately. I kept the original okay. pit card, kept the original um, um, pickup covers, all the knobs. Uh-huh. But over the years, I changed out. You know, I, at one time, I put shallers on for tuning and had the neck refretted by a guy that didn't know what he was doing. And it was just mess. I ended up, I got a Dan Armstrong guitar, I got an SG. Mm-hmm. And I ended up using that Stratus like a bottleneck. For mm-hmm. a while. And uh, then I had it re- actually repainted. There was still paint in the back uh in the where the vibrato springs are that was the original color it was still there so a friend of mine the great dave dominich who i'm still buddies with he worked as an assistant at adventure sound and went on to re, um start a studio um and did all, all uh lenny kravitz stuff mm. lenny kravitz oh wow stuff. yeah in uh, in hoboken or Jer- jersey city um he knew somebody who could, and it was we had it redone he repainted the guy repainted did a great job but nothing was original on it you know, um, one uh-huh. original pickup, the, the the bridge pickup was the same. Yeah, this is a real short story, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, my buddy Andy Babuke, you know Andy? You should get him on a Yeah, show. yeah, from the Empty Hearts. Yeah, yeah Empty Hearts. And also, yep. you know, he wrote the Beatles gear book, the yep. Stones gear book, and the Bigsby book. He's in uh, that other, oh, why am I yeah. suddenly forgetting? The band um, that Little Stevie loves so much. Chesterfield Kings. That's it. Chesterfield Kings. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and he's my best friend. He's the best. Really? Wally's been on here. Oh, and yeah. when Wally was on here, his wife and people were like, the next time, the, the for the next Empty Hearts album, we'll have all the rest of the guys go on the show. And for whatever reason, it never worked out. Yeah. So I never did talk to Elliot or Clem or Andy. Oh, bummer. Yeah. I'm good friends with Clem. I, I talk to Elliot occasionally. You know, the, the, the band is no longer in existence. They, Why? They, uh, Did something so, happen? Yeah, you know, some people wanted to tour. Other people didn't. Other people uh, didn't want to tour. It just got into a big me- kind of messy. Got shoot. Of, shoot. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm still I'm, I'm on great terms with everybody. As I've always been. You, 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 with the Ramones, I, you can you tell. Know? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, getting getting back after I go on my fucking rants here. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, Johnny asked me to, you know, bring your guitar, come to L.A., went to L.A. They're all staying at the Tropicana, the infamous Tropicana on Santa Monica Boulevard with the Black Pool. And um, I stayed there like one night and my room got broken into. So I called Seymour and said, Seymour, I'm not staying here. Put me in a good hotel. And because the hotel is really funky. Mm. Really cheap, too. That's why. Really? Have, and it was like the rock and roll. You should check it out. Okay. Google the Tropicana Hotel, Hollywood. I will. Every, everybody stayed there from, you know, Patti Smith to The Clash to everybody. Sure, sure. At one time or another. Even, uh, and Danny says, uh, sitting here in 100B watching Get Smart on TV, that's uh-huh. about that's about him at the Tropicana. Oh, really? They always stayed at the Tropicana, yeah. Uh, 100B was Joey's room. Wow, yeah. history, had, rock history happening there. Big, uh, the big conference with Phil when Johnny threatened to leave the project. That's another story. Oh my gosh. Anyway. So, you know, it's like, okay, sure. I'll go. Yeah. Phil fucking Spectre. What are you kidding me? Yeah. I, mean, I loved the records he made. I remember, you know, I remember hearing those records for the first time. I remember <sighs> hearing you've lost that loving feeling on, in high school on my girlfriend's, my girlfriend's parents had a really great stereo. We didn't have a great stereo at that time. It was like uh-huh. at FM, they had FM radio and everything. Oof. <clears throat> and uh, I heard that's where I first heard you have lost that love and feeling. What a tremendous record! The sound of it, you know. Just, yeah, yeah. So yeah, okay, I'll go. And um, 
So off we went. I got out of the Tropicana. They stayed. I went to, where did I go? It's a famous hotel. I'll think of it in a second. The Riot House? No, I, I have stayed at the Riot House, though. Yeah. Mm. I can't think of the name of the uh, damn hotel. Okay. Well, a lot of it was, I really liked it there. Everybody went through there. That's when I met um, Chateau Marmont. Or, no, uh, it wasn't. No, it's, it's like off the beaten path. Oh, man. Hmm. But while, while I was doing while I was there, I mean, like Eddie Money was staying there. Uh, hmm. Village people were staying there. Uh, I met Paul Schaefer. Really? Because, um, um, yeah, he, Paul Schaefer was out there subbing for um, the keyboard player in Springsteen's band uh, because Bitten. Roy Bitten. Yeah, Roy was getting married, and oh. they brought Paul in to play in Springsteen's band at the Whiskey A Go Go for the for the wedding or something for Roy's wedding. And um, I met that's where I first met Shelly Akis and Jimmy Iovine. They were staying there. Oh. Sunset Mar Sunset Marquee. Okay, yes, Sunset Marquee. Um, but they were working on a Damn the Torpedoes at the same time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw them every day hanging out by the pool. That by the pool. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, okay. so I went. You know, and um, we started rehearsing, and I started rehearsing with the band. I put my guitar on and played. I actually played on the all, all the tracking sessions. Really, we were all in the same room. You know, oh. uh, Joey was in the ISO booth, and but uh, you know, the drums were in the middle of the room. Dee was here, and Johnny and I were you know ten feet apart from each other. Uh -huh. He used he used his Marshalls, and I used his Mike Matthews Freedom amp. Oh, yeah. Man, yeah, okay, so you know, and uh, yeah, and you know, Phil really took a liking to me, uh, um, and you know, I liked Phil, he was you know, quirky and a little yeah. eccentric, but eccentric, yeah, yeah as, as you probably saw in the uh, Ramones doc, you know, he would mm -hmm. he would be frustrated and be stamping his feet and swearing and yelling at poor Larry Levine, <laughs> poor Larry, he passed away. Yeah, but it was it was something else, you know. Working at Gold Star, where I all great records have been done, and you know, Phil. The first night I met Phil, uh, he was working with the Paley Brothers at Gold I've Star. Heard of them. Yeah. yeah, and Phil would never call me direct, but his uh, um, assistant Donna would always give me a call and say, "Phil's going to call you in ten minutes. Phil wants to meet you tonight." You know, it's uh, so I. He said, "Be at be at Gold Star at nine o'clock." This was like, we were still rehearsing. I think we rehearsed like four days. I have a calendar somewhere. I'm sure this is somebody somewhere. Yes. Um, and by the way, there is a remix that I did with Rick Rubin of End of the Century, but it's being held up for unknown reasons. I don't know. Really? I'm not a business guy. I know there's some kind of legal thing going on. Oh. Two years ago, we started. I started it three years ago, actually. Goodness. Might have been, might have been four Just years. Just sitting in a vault somewhere. It's sitting in my hard drive. <laughs> it's all mastered Gosh. and everything. Oh. All the extras, you know, the whole box set is there. It's not right. Not right at all. So anyway, no. Donna calls me up. Phil wants you to be a gold star at 9 o'clock tonight. He's working with the Paley Brothers. Go down there. And so I go down there. And they're, this is kind of bizarre. So he's, they're working on a, a part for one of the songs. I don't remember what song it was. I don't think the stuff was ever released. And um, the Paley brothers are in the room who I had known because they were on Sire. And I, I met the guys previous, Andy and Jonathan. And I'm still, I'm in touch with Jonathan to this day. Andy, uh. I see once in a while. 
Um, uh, John, I just talked to Jonathan. Andy moved to I think he moved to like Spain or something. Oh. Did. In, or Connecticut. I don't know. <laughs> Spain, or <laughs> Spain or Connecticut. One of those places. <laughs> really talented guys. And um, meet Phil. He gets up and he's shaking my hand. And then we sit, all sit back down in front, in front of the console at, in the control room. They're trying to figure out a, uh, uh, they have an acoustic guitar and trying to work something out. I don't remember what it was, but all of a sudden, uh, Phil's like, "Let's sing God Bless America." What? Okay, yeah. I don't know. This is a, I'm just meeting Uncle Phil for the first time. Uh huh. Uncle Philip, and uh, he s- starts playing guitar. God. And he's trying to figure out the chords. He's not doing a, a great job. There's like two chords in the song, you know, just <laughs> you know, e, da, 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 uh-huh. so he, he has me the acoustic guitar. And so we start playing it and we're all singing God bless America. <laughs> and he's all jovial. And uh, he, had been, he had been nipping at the Manischewitz a little bit, a little maybe. And, uh, he was, we're singing, I think guitar, and all of a sudden he just like does a face plant. <laughs> Here's my fucking hero, Phil, and does a face plant. And uh, he spilled, uh-huh. he spilled the, the, he had a, his Manischewitz in, in a little uh-huh. paper cup, and he spilled it all over himself. And he's like, oh, I'm so <laughs> And then he takes me and brings me to his little office that he had at Gold Star and starts lecturing me on how great, how much he loves the Ramones. <clears throat> Excuse me. And how uh, how this is going to be the biggest record of their career, of his career, and of my career. Oh. Like, he lectured me for like twenty minutes, and he would do this every second day when we got. Oh. Into- yeah. And oh my gosh! Don't like me, but he would do wacky things. You know, he would uh-huh. pick, up, pick up the phone and talk to nobody. He would what? change. He would change clothes in the middle of a session. He'd become, you know, there were two fills. There would be <clears> really <throat> wonderful fill, and there would be grumpy fill, and. Uh, it's um, I, I feel a little strange talking about all the incidents because you know he's he's passed away. Sure, he, sure. He was accused of that terrible incident. Yeah, um, which you know, I mean, he was known for his guns, but yeah, I always um, was of the school that it was it was an accident, even though you know, right. however it happened. Yes, yeah. Um, but um, boy, I don't know one way or the other, but with as much as he was flipping guns around, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And. Uh, all right, that's the end of part one with Ed Stasium. Again, just a fun, funny guy. So humble, uh, so interesting. All his stories, even his tangents are interesting. Now, as I mentioned, because we weren't able to get to all the things I wanted to talk about, uh, for a lot of the outros and intros, I think we're going to play songs that I wish we had mentioned but didn't get around to. And this is The Dickies. This is a song off of Stukazofer Disneyland, another excellent kind of American punk band from the early 80s. Love it. Now, um, in case you don't come back for next for tomorrow's episode, part two, I'll just tell you that next week is our birthday. It's our eighth birthday. And as I always try to do, I try to have a very special guest. Not that Ed's not a very special guest. He could have done the two. But we usually, the criteria is usually either A, really big names, or B, someone who we get requests, a lot of requests for, or C, someone who is who everyone knows but it kind of remains obscure. And that's that's what's happening next week. I'm really, really proud of this one because it's somebody we all know and never, ever hear from. At least I don't. So anyway, that's what's coming up next week. 
Huge thanks to Yan the Man. He's still in it for another week or two. And then most of May is going to go to guest producers. And again, if you want to step up and uh, produce an episode for us, fill in for Yan while he's taking a little bit of a health break, we would love it and we welcome it. Uh, let me know. Get in touch. We'll walk you through how to do it. And you guys know you can find us on Facebook. You can like our page on there. You can send us a message on, uh, or a message on there, an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter, sort of, at thehustlepod. Okay? We'll talk to you tomorrow with part two of Ed Stacey.